Would you reach for a Bible and turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, and follow along for this reading of God's holy word. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So David begins this psalm by preaching to himself, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his name. Forget none of his benefits. Bless him. Bless him, soul. You know what bless means? If it's going Godward, if it's going from me to God, it isn't enriching God. It isn't making God better. It isn't helping God out. He's God. What it is, is out of my mouth is coming statements that talk about the greatness of God and the goodness of God and all that God is with a spirit of admiration and wonder and gratitude. That's what blessing is. When he blesses me, I am better for it. When I bless him, he's no better for it. He's God. My blessing of God is an echo of his excellence back to him. To be sure, I think he delights in it. Because it's a reflection of his glory. But mainly, don't confuse God's blessing of you with your blessing of God. We're talking about our blessing God here. And we're talking about preaching to ourselves. So the psalm begins, soul, 
Wake up. Bless God. There's a word here from David to David and to his own soul. And then after two verses of urging himself and stirring himself up and prodding himself to bless God, come 17 reasons to do it. (laughs) It's a great song. 17 reasons or benefits that David does not want to forget. And I wish we had about three hours to walk through every one of the benefits. But I just want you to see what happens as he comes to the end of the 17 benefits in verse 19. He's no longer going to settle for calling himself to bless God. Oh, soul, bless God. Now he's going to broaden it out and call the whole universe to bless God, including everything in heaven. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers that do his will. Now watch this. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion. That's everywhere. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now my conclusion from watching the movement of this psalm from the first two verses to the last three is that there is in worship an expansive impulse. Worship just wants to expand and expand and expand until everything in the universe is brought into its sway. So he begins, well, let's just follow how worship works here. Worship begins with a revelation by God of God, what he's like. He reveals to us sometimes that he's like Mount Pinatubo, blasting rocks 98,000 feet into the sky. That's the way God is. A little flick of his finger and a volcano sends things 12 miles into the sky. Or sometimes, and sometimes they're so wonderfully interrelated that it's the true glory. He reveals himself to us as a a hen, a mother hen, just kind of moving around gently, gathering her little teeny yellow, helpless, utterly squashable balls of chicks under her wings. And when I put those two together, a volcano going off, sending stuff 12 miles into the air with a little picture of a hen protecting her chicks at the cost of her own life, that's glory to me. The glory of the Lord is the juxtaposition of majesty and humility. And so worship starts with a revelation of the glory of the Lord. The second step in worship is a spiritual event inside my heart and my mind when I, by his grace, perceive some of that glory. And there begins to rise up within me gratitude or wonder or awe or praise or blessing. And almost immediately, there is another part to worship that in one sense is frustrating and in another sense is very authentic in its expression of the worth of God, namely a sense of my inadequacy to respond as I ought. And the next stage, if you're tracking with David, after you recognize the inadequacy of your heart's response, is to preach to your soul. Soul, bless the Lord. Come on, soul, wake up. 
Why do you lie dead and so dull? Why do you languish, O my soul? Wake up, behold what he has revealed. Look, soul, come on, soul. You ever come to that stage? I have a feeling we get cut off at the second stage. God has done his part to reveal himself. We have, by grace, seen some of the glory. That's all we'll ever see in this age. We've seen some of it. Some praise and some feeling of love and gratitude begins to rise. But right there, many of us just stop. And we don't go that step farther to say, Come on. Come on. That's not enough. Come on, soul. Move. Wake up. Be alive. Now, I think that God is tremendously honored by just the apprehension that our soul is only a fragment engaged. That's an honor. You know, it sounds strange, doesn't it? That if your soul is only marginally or fractionally engaged in worship, you think, well, that's not an honor to God. But it is, especially if you recognize it and feel like you want it to come on. That you'd love it if this body of flesh and all your inhibitions could be cut loose and in heaven you could be praising Him 100%, not 85 or 75% of who you are. But if you go the step farther and you sort of not only recognize that sense of inadequacy, but you begin to preach it yourself like David does here. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Come on. Bless the Lord. All that is within me, not half of me. Not half my heart or half my will or half my mind or half my energy. All that is within me. Bless his holy name. If you get to that point, then it's even better. And worship is even better. Now, there's, a, there's another last step in worship. And that is when you're calling everything within you to worship God, you're feeling both a sense of wonder and happiness and awe and a sense of frustration that you can't be all you'd like to be and you never will be in this age. You move beyond that to say, okay, all right, I've done all I can do to preach to my own soul. I'm going to preach to the angels now. Come on, all you angels, you praise God. Come on, all you hosts of heaven, you bless God. Come on, all you mountains in the Himalayas and the Rockies and the Appalachians, you praise God. Come on, all you funny creatures at the bottom of the oceans that nobody's ever seen, you praise God. Come on, all you trees, come on, everything, sun and moon and stars, all the galaxies out there at the end of the universe, come on, praise God. You ever, you ever do that in your devotions at home? Let's be more like David. At the end of this psalm, he's not content to say, all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's saying, everything in heaven, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O angels. Bless the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. There is, in other words, an expansive impulse in worship. Let me outline it for you once more. It begins with the revelation of God in his glory. Great and humble. It begins then, secondly, with something beginning to rise up in me as I perceive that glory. 
and right in tandem with that perception of glory and the rising praise and adoration and admiration, there is a sense of frustration and inadequacy. And that's followed by, if you're willing to follow, David, a preaching to your soul. Come on, soul, kick in more fully. Come on. He's worthy of more. Soul, bless the Lord. And then the last stage is to let your heart reach out and gather in the whole world and heaven included and say, come on, you angels. Come on. Maybe if I heard you, my soul would be more. Maybe if the trees and all the mountains would blow in a way that I could hear them, my soul would be more. Maybe if the waves would break on every shore in the world, I would feel more and would bless him as I ought. This sanctuary for 106 years has been dedicated to that purpose of Blessing the Lord with all that is within us. 120 years ago, June 22nd, 1871, 22 members down at First Baptist Church were given letters of transfer to form a new church called the First Swedish Baptist Church of Minneapolis. As I began to write this part of my sermon, I was saying they were given letters and they built a building and they, they, they. And I stopped and I said, that doesn't sound right. They. What's this they, we stuff? I mean, when did all of a sudden we become we and they become they? At what generation did that happen? And so I went back and erased all that. And I want now to say that 120 years ago, we were born as a church. And three years later, on the corner of 6th Street and 12th Avenue, where Douglas Company is, they built their first church. Cost them $4,000. I said they, didn't I? Can't break that hand. We built our first church. Cost $4,000. Eleven years later, in 1885, it burned to the ground. And two months later, about May 1st, 1885, this building, which belonged to the Second Congregational Church of Minneapolis, was uh, purchased for $13,500 by the First Swedish Baptist Church. We bought this church. And the dedicatory services were held, I think, um, I don't have that written down, but very soon after that, the summer of 1985. The picture of that church as it stood then is on your worship folder. So for 106 years, 1885 to 1991, in an unbroken way, this service, I mean, this, this sanctuary has been the place of worship for our family called Bethlehem. Now, the continuity of that is just remarkable. The church has sent out other churches, but in the two volumes of history that I read, the one written at the 75th anniversary and the one at the 100th anniversary, to my knowledge, there never has been a rupture or a division, a split in this church in 120 years, which is just most remarkable grace of God. The continuity of our body that we are now a part of, and that everybody who belongs to this church by virtue of a covenant commitment 
when you join, you are part of that body, which is Bethlehem, that's 120 years old. It's not us and them. It's just one continuous growing body. And the remarkable thing about the continuity is that the 120 years of our life together have been the 120 years of the greatest change in human history. Do you know that? It's just incredible what has happened in the last 120 years. The changes that have happened in the last 120 years are beyond comparison in all of the thousands of years of of world history. Let me just illustrate for those of you who may not be thinking what it was like in 1871. There were no computers. There were no lasers, no atomic power, no radar, no space travel, no planes, no cars, no video cassettes or tape cassettes, no television, no radio, no telephone, no movies, no fiberglass or nylon or steel, no automatic toasters or electric dishwashers or clothes washers or refrigerators, no vacuum cleaners and no incandescent light bulbs. It was another world. It was another world. It was the same world that had existed basically for thousands of years. And in 120 years, we live in another world. But one thing has never changed. God has never changed. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So the steadfast love of the Lord from that first day, June 22nd, 1871, to this very day is exactly the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. 5,514 Sundays, give or take a Sunday. God has been in this room. And God has blessed and has been the same every Sunday. Whether it's before or after electric light, or before or after cars, or before or after radios, or before or after these marvelous inventions, you wonder how... For all those years, people preached without little gizmos to magnify their voice. Maybe that's why they didn't have three services ever. It's because no, nobody would have lasted. Steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and his righteousness to children's children. A little over a week ago, we laid to rest Wyman Malmston. Wyman Malmston was the son of August Malmston, who was one of the 22 who came from First Baptist. And Wyman's daughter, Marlis, and her daughter, Alice, are all part of Bethlehem. And so if you just want one family's illustration, August Malmston, a founder, Wyman, a builder, Marlis and Alice, contemporary servants of the Lord, there you have it. And when you think of it in those terms, it doesn't seem very long, does it? 120 years. It's a remarkable thing. The Lord has been here in this room for 106 years. 
calling us to bless his name, calling us to remember him. And I think as we close the service, what the Lord is calling us to do is remember some of the works of the Lord that he did in response to our gathering under his grace and under his name. And here's the way I'd like to do it. I have about four areas where God has worked, and I want to involve you in this now and have you do some standing. So put your thinking caps on and think how long you've been here, for example, and think what God has done in your life in this room. And what I want to do is I want to thank God for some things with you and then bless those things for the future. So let's begin like this. Uh, I would like to invite you all, everybody, to stand. Would you stand, please? And I'm going to ask certain groups of you to be seated until there are only a few of you standing. All right? And the first thing I want to focus on is bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Some of you have been blessing the Lord in this room a long time. Some of you are probably here for the first time this morning. So I'm going to ask waves of you to sit down according to how long you've been at Bethlehem. All right. If you have come to Bethlehem in the last five years, please be seated. If now I don't mind if there are intervals, we won't count the intervals. We're going to count when you started coming. All right. If you have come in the last 10 years, please be seated. If you started coming within the last 20 years, please be seated. If you started coming within the last 30 years, please be seated. If you started coming within the last 40 years, please be seated. If you started coming within the last 50 years, please be seated. Now, I stopped there in the first service, but I'm going to make one more here. <laughs> if, you, if you started coming within the last 60 years, you may be seated. All right, I won't press you any further than that. But I'm going to ask, the, I'm going to ask just those of you who are there to remain standing. As kind of, you're, you're as close as we get to our beginnings. And I praise God for you. And I'd like to thank God right now for your life. And some of you might have sat down too early. If you want to stand back up, that's okay. But let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this tie-in. This, this is halfway back, Lord, at least, to where we began. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their presence among us yet today. And that they have uh, been courageous enough and strong enough to handle many changes over the years. I thank you, Lord, for the sturdiness of perseverance. And I ask, Lord, now on those who sat down at 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, that you would help us to stay faithful, Father. I just call your blessing now upon these friends and these family members and ask your touch upon their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, here's the second Thing I want to focus on and thank the Lord for. Let's put on our thinking caps about conversions and baptisms. Here's the group I'm going to ask to stand in a minute. If you found the Lord and became a Christian in this church, in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand. Secondly, if you became a Christian 
made a commitment to Jesus Christ through the direct, decisive influence of somebody who is attending this church, you're going to be included in that standing group. And thirdly, if you came to Bethlehem and were baptized here, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, before you stand, what I want these standings to represent is a kind of rededication. You know, I don't really want you to stand if you said, yes, that happened to me, but, it, but I don't really care about it anymore. I really want your standing to mean, yes, God did that to me in connection with this church, and I am so thankful He did, and I want to rededicate myself afresh by standing. So, in those three categories, you were brought to the Lord in this church, or through the decisive influence of somebody in this church, or you were baptized in this baptistry. Would you stand? All right. Let's pray. Just stay standing, please. Lord, this is the fruit, some of the fruit, of faithful labors over decades of labor in this church. And I thank you for it. And I just want to bless your name and bless these decisions, bless these commitments, bless this faith. Would you come and touch these people and fill them with your spirit? And grant them to, to press on and complete their fight of faith and finish the race in good order. Lord, I ask that you would touch them and strengthen them and help them. And all of us who made our commitments in other places and at other times. Lord, thank you for what you've done here in these 106 years. Continue to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The third category is a little different, a little bit more vague, so you need to think hard now. God comes in worship and guides people. He brings you to points of crisis in your life about dozens of kinds of issues, from work to relationships to all kinds of things. And so the question I'm asking this time is, how many of you have met God in such a way that your life took a decisive turn. Could have been into missions, could have been a job change, could have been a new ministry, could have been a relationship. But you look back and you can remember a Sunday. Or maybe it was a series of Sundays. Or maybe a Sunday school class. And God spoke in such a decisive way, your life took a turn for something. When I was 17 years old in White Oak Baptist Church, I was in that seat right about where Jim is there. And I don't know what the sermon was, but I was struggling with where to go to college. And it was the, one of the most decisive communications from God I ever got. It was as though the, the Lord simply said, Wheaton College. And the, the, I felt just flooded with peace about that decision. I never doubted from that summer day on, or spring day on, that that was it. So that's one of the kinds of things that I could stand up for. Is that, that's as plain as I can make it. You'll just have to use your own judgment. I want to bless those decisions. So if you made, now I'm ruling out the conversion decision here. We've already stood for that. It's other kinds of things. So if God did that somewhere in this, in this church, would you stand right now? Father, just thank you so much for these decisions, these turnings, these life changes that came into these people.
And I just want to bless them right now and say, Lord, confirm those choices. Confirm the path that they've taken according to your will and grant their prosperity in it. We bless you, Father, for how you meet people and guide them. And we pray that it would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One last group. It has to do with marriage and children. Verse 5 says, He satisfies you with good things as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For many of you, the good things that God has given you has included marriage. For many of you, the good things that God has included for you is the life of a single person. 1 Corinthians 7 makes it very plain that God calls people to singleness, and God calls people to marriage, and both have their crucial place in the kingdom. If I asked for both, everybody would stand up. So I'm not going to ask for both. I'm rather going to take this opportunity to realize that in this room, some of you met your spouses and were married elsewhere. Some of you had your wedding ceremony right here in this room or in the chapel. And some of you dedicated children to the Lord over the years in this room. So if you're in one of those three categories, would you stand? So it's a real important place, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, for the marriages, for the single people, and for the children, I pray. I pray blessing, Father. I long to see these marriages preserved and made full of hope and full of joy and full of harmony and full of the Spirit. Would you bless them? I pray for the children that have been dedicated here and those who will be dedicated in the new sanctuary. That you would guard and keep and hold the children, O Lord. And I thank you with all my heart for how you've brought spouses together and how you've called many to the single life. And I pray, O oh God, that none would live in frustration with their marriage and none would live in frustration with singleness. But that in your time and in your way, a great blessing for full-blown life and ministry would come to the single people and come to the married people as each spends themselves for the kingdom. And now, I think it would be good, perhaps, if we all just stood together. Would you stand? And let me close by reading verse 19 again, because verse 19 is what makes me know that we are not done. The story is not finished. The chapter, 106 years long, is closing. But there is a new chapter opening, and I know that God has a great purpose for this reason. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And therefore, people who are devoted to this all-sovereign God, this all-ruling God, cannot fail. They cannot be defeated. And as we go into the new building next Sunday, he will meet us there. And I invite you to come pray for his great blessing on Friday night. And I want us to close this service by lifting our voices with number 370. Would you take a hymnal and let's sing, Oh God, our help in ages past like we've never sung it before to his glory.